All right. Good morning. How are you doing today? Pretty good. My name is Andrew. If this is your first time with us, I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. And uh, man, I've missed you. It's a joy to be in the house, joy to see you this morning. Lots of people uh, will ask on occasion, how is New Life East doing? And uh, there's lots of answers that I can give to that question, but I think the best answer to give to that question is just tell uh, some stories about East. So can I tell you one quick story about New Life East and then get into the message for the day? Yes, okay. I love what Pastor Brad was saying just a couple minutes ago about us making sure that we're stepping up and caring for the most vulnerable in our midst. And we have a family at New Life East who part of their way of stepping up and caring for the most vulnerable is they've decided to become foster parents. So they always have little ones in their house. And a little over a year ago, they came to us. They had three little ones in their house. And they came to us and they said, hey, listen, we know that there's a dedication coming up. We do child dedication like you all do here every six weeks or so. And they said, we know there's a dedication coming up. And we got these kids and we'd love to dedicate them to the Lord, but we can't do it publicly with cameras. Is it just the confidentiality and all that stuff? So they said, can we do it in the back room? You know, would that be okay? And we said, absolutely, we'd love to do that. And so we rounded up a whole bunch of prayer warriors in our midst and we gathered in a back room and we prayed, you guys, we prayed over these little ones and we anointed them with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we prayed that the Lord would protect their life and preserve their life and lead them to a life of flourishing. And one of those little boys, just the sweetest little thing, uh, his name is Cain. And little Cain, his mom was out of the picture and dad was addicted to drugs and alcohol, which is the reason that he wound up in foster care in the first place. And so we prayed over Cain and we prophesied over Cain. And about six to nine months later, Cain was reunited with his dad. His dad started to get his life back together. And because of the kindness, listen, because of the kindness of the family at New Life East, they showed to little Cain, uh, his dad actually started attending our church in the weeks leading up to Easter. Oh, it gets better than that. And this guy doesn't know the Lord at all. He's just like, these people are good. And so the churches they go to must be good. And I think I need to be in church. So I'm gonna go. And he did. And he starts sitting with us. And all of a sudden the spirit starts working on his heart. And he comes to us on Easter Sunday and he goes, you guys, I don't know what's happening to me, but I think I need to get baptized. And two Sundays later, we baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he comes up out of the waters and you know who the first person to greet him out of the tank was? His little son, Cain, greeting him on the front row and hugging him. And I'm, I'm saying all that to encourage you that there are good things happening on the east side of the city. And I'm so grateful for all the prayers and all the encouragement that you've given us. But I'm also saying that to you to say that the way that we change our culture is not by screaming and shouting at it. Okay, the scripture says, Paul says in Romans chapter two, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And I wanna to say to you that it's the kindness of the church that leads the culture to repentance. Can I get an amen? And so a law has been overturned and now is the moment for the church to rise up in ever greater kindness and self-sacrificial love and generosity. Amen and amen. I'm gonna talk about the Holy Spirit for a few minutes this morning, and I wanna talk about one of the works of the Spirit, the Spirit's work of sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. It's a big theological word. And let me just kind of locate sanctification in the story of how God saves us. Traditionally in Christian theology, the way that we talk about the process of salvation working itself out in a person's life, as we talk about that first moment when we come to know the Lord is justification. Everybody say justification. 
Justification is where God declares us righteous in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that you can understand justification is that what God does is he aligns us with himself. You know how like when you're using Microsoft Word, you can left justify or right justify things? What are you doing? You're aligning it with something. So justification is about the alignment of our lives with the Lord. And at the end of all things, when that process, the process of our salvation is complete, we get to glorification. Sin has been purged out of our members. Everybody say glorification. So yeah, justification, then we got glorification. Sin's been purged out of our members. We're revealed as the sons and daughters of the living God. But in between that is what? Sanctification. It's the Spirit's long work of taking the justified and making them look like the sons and daughters of the living God that they are. Paul talks about sanctification quite often in the New Testament. As you flip through the pages of your New Testament, you'll see the word sanctification all over the place. Here's one spot. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes, may God himself, the God of peace, what's the word there? Sanctify you through and through. I love that. And may your whole spirit, soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he concludes by saying, the one who calls you is faithful. And who's going to do it? He's going to do it. God's going to do it. But if you press the apostle Paul, you go, Paul, could you locate sanctification inside the Godhead more specifically? Yes, God is the one who sanctifies us. But um, is there like a specific member of the Godhead that really does that work? And Paul has a clear answer for us. Second Thessalonians chapter two, Paul writes this. He says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, love by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. So one of the unique roles of the spirit in our lives is that the spirit sanctifies us for God. But you're sitting there saying, okay, fine. The spirit sanctifies us. Yay. But Andrew, what is sanctification? Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you asked. I want to give you three definitions of sanctification this morning that are interlocking definitions that I think are going to help you understand God's will for your life a little bit more deeply this morning. Before we get into the text of scripture, let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, all of heaven and all of earth, it all adores you. And the scripture says that at the end of all things, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. You are getting what belongs to you. Your Father is at work through you by the power of the Spirit to bring all things into alignment with your good reign. And that includes our lives. And so we pray this morning that as we open the scriptures, we pray that you would speak to us and help us, that you would show us who you are and what you're like. And we pray that you would reveal the work of the Spirit to us and help us partner with that, surrender to that more deeply this morning. We're praying all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, the Spirit sanctifies us by, I want to give you one brief definition of sanctification here. The Spirit sanctifies us by including us, everybody say including us, including us in the divine presence. And so God brings us into his presence. That's part of what we mean. When we talk about sanctification, this is Exodus chapter 29. The Lord has delivered his people up out of Egypt and he's beginning to show them how to live and what he desires for them. And one of his deep desires is to move into the people, among the people. And so he gives them instructions for the tabernacle, which would later become the temple, this place that would house the divine presence. And the Lord says this, so I will consecrate. That's a sanctification word. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons 
to serve me as priest, verse 45, and then I will, what does the text say? Dwell among the Israelites and be their God, verse 46. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of Egypt. Why? Yeah, I need you to talk to me. Why? What does the text say? So that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, your God. The first, think about this now. The first stated purpose of sanctification in the scriptures is that God would dwell among the people. Do you know that God has always been seeking to move into planet Earth? And so when he delivers his people up out of Egypt, when he saves them, he doesn't save them so that they can kind of go on their merry way and then he goes on his merry way, but he saves them so that he might make a home among them that he might have presence in their midst. And so this is the first desire of God for us, that he would dwell in our midst. But it also, I think, answers the first desire of the human heart, which is that we would have contact with God. Think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 63 and verse one. The psalmist says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Guys, what do we long for more than anything else? God. Even if we're not believers, we long for God. That's part of the reason that our lives are such a mess before we come to know the Lord is that we're trying to satisfy a desire for God with things that could not possibly or ever in any universe satisfy that desire, St. Augustine said it so well when he said, you awaken us, O oh God, to delight in your praise for you have made us for yourself and our souls, those famous lines, our souls are restless until they rest in you. Or the great Orthodox priest, Father Alexander Shmiman said this, that man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for who? Behind all, think about this guys, Behind all of the hunger of our life is God. And all desire is finally a desire for him. We hunger and thirst for God. And so when God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, beginning to sanctify our lives, what he does is he starts drawing us into that presence, which is the deepest desire of our hearts. It astonishes me, y'all. When I think about how everybody is saying, you know, our culture is becoming more secular than ever and our world is becoming more secular than ever. It so astonishes me that this desire for God, you can't get it out of the human heart. And it doesn't matter how much religion is supposedly on the decline and how much secularism is supposedly on the rise. It's still there. We're still so hungry for God. Think about a trip that we took to Israel. Some of us on staff here took to Israel a couple weeks ago. I think about all of these people from around the world traveling, some of them from thousands and thousands of miles away to come to these holy sites, to the place where Jesus walked and the apostles walked and King David walked. And they're in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, or the church of the Nativity, or they're at the Wailing Wall of Jerusalem. And to see them come in contact with these places, touch these places, they'd emerge in tears streaming down their face. Why? Because they're starting to get in contact with holiness. And that deep desire of their heart is being satisfied. And it doesn't matter how secular they say they are. There's something about coming into the proximity of holiness that satisfies us and opens us up. I think about when we were in the airport on the way home, sitting there waiting for our 
plane and all of a sudden we saw this spontaneous line of people. We're getting ready to leave Tel Aviv. And we saw this spontaneous line of people begin to form in front of this guy who looked to be this great Jewish rabbi. And so, and they're all like receiving a word from him and tears are streaming down their face and they're being unmade. And so we started asking around, who is this guy? And they said, well, he's a famous Jewish rabbi and he has like words of prophecy and knowledge for people and they'll come, people will come from the ends of the earth to listen to him and they were, I mean, people are stopping everything, this line of a dozen people on their knees waiting for a word, right? Why do we do that? We do that because we're hungry for God. We do that because we need contact with holiness more than we need anything else in our lives. And what the scripture claims is that the encounter with the Spirit of God brings us into the proximity of holy presence that changes and transforms our lives. Can I get an amen from somebody? Story I served at the, on the Friday night community for several years before launching New Life East and a story from the Friday night community several years ago. We got done worshiping one Friday night and a guy come, came up after me, to me after the service and he said, Pastor, I need to talk with you for a couple minutes. I said, okay. And he said, and also that other guy who's preaching. I said, Pastor Daniel? He said, yeah, I need to talk to him too. I said, okay. So I marched this guy up to the front and he begins to tell his story to us. And he says, listen, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So honestly, I don't really have any idea what's going on in here. All this thing that you guys are doing and he opens this ancient book and he says some stuff about it. And then that thing that you do with like the bread and the cup and the body and the blood and all of that's a little bit creepy to me, but he said, I, I'm here. I, didn't, I don't have any frame of reference for this place. He said, I grew up in California. My parents were completely secular and I went off to college and in my early 20s, he said, all of a sudden my life kind of started falling into place. I got married to my high school sweetheart and we began to have children. And then with my good friend, I started this business and this business did like really, really well. All of a sudden we're making money hand over fist. And by my late 20s, I've got it all, man. Like I'm living high on the hog and I'm making all kinds of money and I'm powerful and important and people are coming to seek my wisdom. And I got a wife and my two kids and nice house and everything is working for me. He said, and then one year my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and she went into a long and protracted battle with it that took several years and it was so distracting and all consuming for us that my friend who owned the business, he just said, listen, man, I've got your back. I'll take care of everything over here while you attend to your family. He said, I felt such freedom in that. And so I'm attending to my wife and sometimes it looked like she was turning the corner and other times it looked like she was being claimed by the cancer and eventually it seemed like it was a losing battle and the cancer began to spread and it went up into her brain and all of a sudden it started eating up her personality. And he said, those last six months were absolutely brutal. So I watched the love of my life slip through my fingers and our family is about to be changed inalterably. And he said, and she finally passed away and we buried her. And as I'm working through my grief, the only thing that I've kind of got left besides my kids is my work that had such meaning for me. He said, and so I went back to the job. And when I went back to the job, I realized that my friend who had promised to protect me and have my back, my friend stole the business from me, cut me out of the whole thing. And so not only have I lost the love of my life and not only have I lost this business, but I've been betrayed by my friend, he said. And so I did the thing that everybody does. I started self-medicating drugs and alcohol and all kinds of foolishness. And my life started spinning wildly out of control. And he said, and then I moved here to Colorado just because I felt like I needed a change of scenery with my kids. And so I'm living up here in Monument. And he said, a couple weeks ago, I came into a Friday night service and I don't even know why I came in. I don't know anything about church. I don't attend church. I'm not like a church person, but I came. And I sat on the back row over there and something happened to me while you all were singing, while the preacher was preaching. 
I started experiencing emotions that I'd stuffed away and locked away for years and years and years. Then all of a sudden I'm sitting on the back row and I'm weeping and I'm weeping and I'm weeping and I, I feel this stuff is like coming up out of me. He said, and so I decided to come back the next week and the same thing. I'm sitting on the back row and I'm cracking open and emotion is pouring out. And then I did it again the third week. He goes, and I don't really know what's happening to me here. And Daniel and I are looking at each other. And we finally said to him, we'll tell you exactly what's happening to you. You're being touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's opening you up and he's drawing that toxic grief out of you and he's healing your life. And if you'll keep yielding to the presence of the Spirit, I promise good things are in store for you. That man, wouldn't you know it, gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes shame and guilt and heaviness and burdens. The Spirit takes our ache, our hunger, and our thirst and satisfies it with the very life of God himself. Remember what Jesus said, if anybody is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me and let him drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will pour forth from within him. When we taste the spirit, we're captured by the very life of God and we're transformed by it such that we actually become rivers of living water for other people. Are you tracking with me this morning? The spirit sanctifies us by including us in the divine presence, which happens to be the deepest desire also of our hearts. So if that's the first definition of sanctification, the second definition I think of sanctification goes something like this, that the spirit sanctifies us by, what's the word there? recruiting us for the divine purpose. That it's not just that the Spirit satisfies our sort of existential ache for God, but the Spirit also recruits us, includes us in the divine purpose for the world. Do you know that God has things that he's trying to accomplish in the world? And he's using his people to get it done. Listen to what Moses says earlier in Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 4. The scripture says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself, and now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words here to speak to the Israelites. Why does God deliver his people up out of Egypt? It's not just to satisfy them with the divine presence, but it's also to recruit them for the divine purpose. You will be, for me, a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests both represent the people to God, but they also represent God to the people. And so to be called a kingdom of priests means that the whole nation, the whole group, is both going to represent the world to God and is also going to represent God to the world, that's what we've been called to do, guys. That's what God does. In sanctification, he brings us into the divine purpose. And by the way, God is always doing this all the time. God is a God who recruits all kinds, not just of people, but he includes things in the divine purpose. Think about for a moment, think about this building that we are worshiping in here. It's a whole mess of steel and concrete and wood. By itself, it's nothing at all. And yet Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, for decades now, what has the Lord been doing? He claims this place 
and he fills it with his presence so that our lives are transformed by his presence. Every single week, the miracle of God's sanctifying work of a place takes place in this place. This is what God does. Or think about the culmination of our worship. We always conclude our worship, our sermon, by doing what? We come to the table of the Lord. And what are we doing there? We're taking the bread and we're taking the cup. And if you've worshiped with us for more than a week, you know that that bread is very awful bread. <laughs> and that grape juice, I swear, is the worst grape juice on planet Earth. And yet, we take the bread and we take the cup and we lift it up before the Lord. And we say that on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And we begin to say those words over those things. And then we invite the presence of the Spirit. And what does the Lord do? He gives bread and cup back to us as the body and the blood of Christ, a real contact with the resurrected Christ. Are you seeing it? This is what sanctification is, that God takes these ordinary things and he makes them vehicles of the divine agency. He accomplishes his purposes in the world. And most of all, he does this through people. Do you remember when you first began to come into a knowledge of the Lord? I'm born and raised in church. I was a little kid growing up in church and always knew about Jesus and the Spirit and the Father and all of that. And, but I wasn't, it wasn't until high school that I started really coming into a personal knowledge of the Lord. And I remember those moments in my bedroom or in worship where the Lord began to, like the Spirit began to lean on me in such a profound way. And I remember the impulse of my heart in those spaces as the spirit is moving upon me. I remember beginning to say to the Lord and I would say it over and over again, Lord, here I am. All that I am and all that I have belongs to you. Take me, use me, do what you will with my life. Here it is, it's all yours. And do you know when you pray that, when you offer that up to the Lord, he makes good on it? <laughs> I've noticed that over the last 25 years or so. I said to the Lord, wherever, however, whatever, it's all yours. And the Lord's gone, okay, if that's what you mean, we're going to do that. And he will do that to you. And maybe you're sitting there this morning, though, and you're thinking to yourself, Andrew, okay, fine. Maybe that's good for you. But you're like called to be a pastor. So you're a religious zealot almost by definition. <laughs> but do you know this is actually the call that's given to every believer? Think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer what? Your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about what happened when you got baptized, guys. When you got baptized, you said to the Lord, I am dying to my old way of life and I'm being resurrected now to the life of the kingdom of God. Do you know what happened when you went down to those waters? You forfeited the right forever to have your life be an arena of your self-glorification or self-satisfaction <laughs> or self-realization. Christians don't think about their lives in that way. The way that we think about our lives is that our lives are an offering that's given over to the Lord. And so all of us in some way are saying to the Lord, wherever, whatever, all that I am and all that I have, is yours. I think that there are lots of different ways in which we can think about how this sanctifying work of the Spirit touches us, but I want to give you three this morning and then I'll move on to the last point. I think that one of the places that the Spirit of God, the sanctifying work of the Spirit touches us most profoundly is in the arena 
of our money. Everybody say our money. money. Our money. Man, that's a place that we don't want to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, don't talk about my money. Why? Because my money makes me feel safe, and my money makes me feel secure, and my money makes me feel important. And then the church comes along as you're being discipled, and it says, yeah, your money doesn't really belong to you anymore. Your money is not a vehicle for your self-actualization or your self-promotion, but your money is given to you as a thing that you're called to steward for the good of the world and the glory of God. So you don't get to try to realize yourself through your money, but you get to lay your life down through your resources. And I know a lot of Christians, you know, one of the ways that we do that, by the way, is with our tithes and with our offerings. That we gather here on Sunday and every Sunday as part of our worship, what we do is we offer our resources up to the Lord. And there are lots of Christians out there that will say, Andrew, they'll say, I don't know, like that whole tithing thing, that feels to me like an outmoded, like Old Testament principle. That's the law, right? And Christians are not bound to the law, are they? And I say, no, Christians are not bound to the law. But if you want a good, like New Testament principle, for what to do with your resources, you can look no further than Acts chapter two, in which it says that there were no needy persons among them because nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they eagerly shared everything that they had with the poor and with everyone else. So if the Old Testament is 10%, do you know how many percentages the New Testament is? It's painful to say. It's 100. So maybe pick one and be happy about it. I don't know. <laughs> but all that you are, all that you have belongs to the Lord, your money. Are you using your vehicle to bless and build up the world and glorify God? Or are you using it for yourself? How about this? Next area is our power. The world's way of thinking about power is that we accumulate power to make ourselves safe and to build ourselves up. But the scripture's way of thinking about power is that power is given to us to bless and build up others. And so think about those that have been entrusted to your care, your children, or if you're a business owner or you're in business or you're in any kind of organization where you have people reporting to you, those employees who report to you, all of the people that you have power over, all the things that you have power over, you're called into Jesus Christ who surrendered his power for the good of others and the glory of his father. So our money and our power, but also we could say our sexuality is a place well, God wants to sanctify our lives. So many of us, the way that, again, the way that the world thinks about our sexuality is that our sexuality is an arena for self-gratification. I just have to become fulfilled and satisfied in some way, but that's not the New Testament's way of thinking about our sexuality. But our sexuality is given to us as a gift that's to be poured out for the good of our spouse, the good of the world and the glory of God, money, power, and sexuality. Friends, all that you are and all that you have belongs to the Lord. And so the sanctifying work of the Spirit recruits those things so that the kingdom might be built up on planet Earth. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, it includes us in the divine presence. It recruits us for the divine purpose. But then the third thing here, the Spirit sanctifies us by, everybody say it real loud, making us compatible with the divine character. Think about what the Lord says to his people in Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, everybody say it real loud, you shall be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Do you realize 
that this is both a command and a promise. It's both a command and a promise. That when the Lord moves in among his people, he says to them, you shall be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. In other words, I'm in your midst, the holy God. Therefore, you're going to do what you need to do to organize yourself to the divine presence. But it's also, that's the command part of it. But the promise part of it is that in and insofar as you dwell with me, what you'll find is that you start becoming holy as I am holy, quite apart from any effort of your own. You'll just do it because you're around me. Are you tracking with me this morning, brothers and sisters? I think about my own kids here. One of the astonishing things to me about kids is that we have four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, then Liam. Ethan is 16. Liam's going to be 10 uh, this summer. Ethan's about to be 16. And one of the things that's astonished me in 16 years of being a parent is how much your children like, are like you and kind of take on your characteristics, whether you or they want to or realize it or not. And your kids are just kind of like you, right? And I remember Ethan, when our oldest Ethan was just a little guy, he was about a year and a half old. And he was starting to walk some and beginning to talk some. And Ethan was just a busy little guy and very, uh, Ethan had a mind that was like a sponge. So he just kind of soaked in his entire environment. And because his parents were his environment, he soaked in stuff from his parents, you know. And we just loved little Ethan. Just such a fun guy to be around. And one of the things that Ethan had about a year and a half loved to say was he loved to say, oh man. And he said it just like that, oh man, oh man. The little guy tootling around the house always say, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. And he said it just like that. And sometimes he would get like in these oh man ruts that were, quite honestly, they were alarming. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. And one day I remember, I remember Mandy and I saw him. He was at the front door, the screen door, looking outside out of the road in front of our house, you know, and he's just standing there going, oh man, 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 oh man. And I never, I'll never forget looking over at Mandy and we were just so, well, like, is he okay? <laughs> Did we break him? Pray for him. Does he have a devil? What are we going to do with our, so we were very concerned about it. And one day we had some friends over and we were talking about our kids and stuff. And then we kind of like shared a little bit of our alarm about Ethan with our friend. And we said, you know, he does this thing. Or he's like a great kid and everything. He's amazing. We're seeing him grow. But he's got this thing that he does. Or he says like, oh man, like all the time. She goes, you know why he does that? We said, no, why? Because you say, oh man, all the time. I said, oh man, I do not. So we started watching each other. Language police. And sure enough, Andrew aren't saying, oh man, all the time. You know, when I'm excited about something, oh man. Confused about something, oh man. Consternation, oh man. You know, just always. Why is little Ethan saying, oh man, all the time? Because little Ethan has spent a lot of time with his dad. And his dad says, oh man, all the time. And somehow his dad's characteristics like get into him. Guys, do you know that this is what the spirit does to us? The Spirit takes the characteristics of our Father and works them into us so that we become like our Father in heaven. Think about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is and then, 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 and then. And against these things there is no 
So the Spirit produces these things in us. But why does the Spirit produce these things in us? Because these things are true of who? That's right. So when the Spirit comes into us, what happens is the divine DNA gets planted in us. And as we walk with the Spirit, all of a sudden we start looking more and more like our Father in heaven. My parents will visit here a couple times a year. My mom and dad live up in Wisconsin and my dad will come, he'll come to New Life East or he'll come and hang out with some of my friends, you know. And whenever my dad walks into a room, you know, you know what people will say? First thing that they'll always say is they'll look at me and they'll go, that's where you get it from. And I'll say, what are you talking about? And they'll say, that walk, the aren't walk. It's very hard to duplicate that semi-purposeful saunter thing. Where did Andrew Arndt get that from? His dad. That's what happens to us in sanctification, is that people look at our kindness and they look at our generosity and they look at how self-sacrificial we are. They look at the way that we love our enemies and we pray for those who despitefully use us and they go, you look just like your father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't hide your light under a, a bowl, but put it on its stand that it may light everything in the house. And then people will see your good deeds and they will glorify your father in heaven. How will the world know what God is like? They'll look at us and our sanctified lives and they'll see something of the kingdom of God and the character of our father in heaven, friends, as we submit ourselves to the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we come to look the way that God looks. And when I think about great examples of this, and with this, I'll invite the worship team to come to the platform. When I think about great examples of this down through history, I think about the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That as the civil rights movement and all the tension of our country was reaching a fever pitch, the Christmas Eve service one year, he said these words in his sermon. He said, to our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. And we shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we shall continue to love you. And we cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we will still love you. You send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we shall win our freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. Do you know why your heart burns when you hear those words? Because that's what our God is like. Those things were true about Martin Luther King Jr. because they were true about our Father in heaven and his son Jesus Christ and the sanctifying work of the Spirit first. And we are right now, you know this, we are living in a time 
when the heat is being turned up in our country and tensions are running high and the seeds of division are constantly being sown, what kind of a people are we gonna be? But I say over you that you're gonna be because you have the spirit of the living God in you, you're going to be a people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And through your lives, the world will know what your Father in heaven is like. Can we stand this morning? And would you now just offer yourself to the Lord? That's all you got to do. That's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, would you just offer yourself? Jesus, we do. We offer ourselves to you. Spirit of God, we offer ourselves to you. We offer our minds to you. We say, sanctify our minds. Teach us to think the thoughts of God. And we offer our hearts to you. We say, sanctify them. Teach us to desire the things of God. And we offer our bodies to you. We say, sanctify them. May they be used to do the works of God. We're giving ourselves to you this morning. Drive out of us, we're asking this morning, all that stands in the way of the kingdom's advance in our midst and establish the good reign of Jesus Christ in our bodies. We pray that this would be so that the world would know of the love and the goodness of our good Father in heaven. Grant it, we're praying. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Let's sing this song of worship in response and then Pastor Brad's gonna lead us to the table.
the radiant sun The shadowlands will fade away We believe it At last the one who is to come Is yeah. gonna rule grab your elements as we get ready to receive together as God's family today. The sanctifying work of God in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. Not only does he justify us and eventually glorify us through Christ, but in the middle, he sanctifies us. I wrote down the three words Pastor Andrew talked about. God including us, God recruiting us, and then God transforming us. That is the sanctifying work of his spirit in our lives. And my guess is that one of those three parts of Andrew's message resonated more deeply with you. Maybe you thought, okay, include. Included in the divine presence, and you went, that's what I needed to be reminded of today. Maybe it was this recruitment of a sense of God calling you to be about his work, to represent him on the earth. Maybe for you, it was this idea of being transformed from the inside out to reflect his character. As you come to the table, the Lord simply says to you, I've made a promise to you to be active in your life to do that work for you as you dwell with me, as you abide in my presence. And on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you partake of it, do this in remembrance of me. Church, let's take the bread together. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, is the new covenant that I make in my blood. It's for your forgiveness, it's for your sins, it's for your washing, it's to make you new. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup. Church, let's celebrate the work, the activity of God among us today and forevermore.
Yeah, so good. Wow, it has been so beautiful to be together this morning and watch the things that God stirred in our hearts and our minds. Before we get out of here, I wanna tell you about two things happening related to the youth of our city. You gotta know about these things. First, July 12th, the Desperation Conference starts right here in this room. A Couple thousand people, young people, from around our city and around our country are gonna be joining. You can have you can find out more information in the lobby. So many years of finances are a barrier, right, for people to send their kids to desperation. And you guys have stepped up to sponsor students to make it a non-issue. So if that's something that's on your heart, I'd love to invite you to explore that. Also, um, on, in July, uh, we're doing something called Backpack Fiesta, actually at the end of June. Um, and we are aiming to give away seven backpacks to young kids whose parents can't afford to get them ready for school. In the backpack is a new pair of shoes, a school uniform. We're giving their families a bag of groceries and even a haircut. So it's this incredible outreach we're doing. If you'd love to find out more information, it's in the lobby. Guys, I wanna invite our prayer team to come forward. And um, before you go, will you open your hands when a prayer, prayer of blessing over you? People of God gathered at New Life, may you know that the sanctifying work of the Lord is active in your life, that the Holy Spirit is moving and working to let you know that you are included in Him, that you are recruited in Him, and that you are transformed by His presence. Go in peace in the blessing of the Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great week. See you soon.